You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcast. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. One quick thing. A week ago, on Tuesday, January 8th, 2019, the Mendocino County Sheriff's Office received word from the Department of Justice that the foot discovered near the crash site in May was positively identified as belonging to Hannah Hart. It is now believed by officials that she died in the crash with her family. The notice reads, Devante Hart is still listed as a missing person with the Mendocino County Sheriff's Office. The case remains open and active. Stay tuned for the latest installment of Broken Hearts. Before we begin today's episode, Liz and I feel compelled to address something we think is vitally important to the story. We're white. Liz is of Irish Catholic descent. She has freckles and eyes she thinks are green, but I'd say are blue with a swirl of cinnamon. I am of Jewish descent. I have blonde hair and hazel eyes. We were both raised on the East Coast. We both attended private colleges in the Northeast. We are both mothers to white children. For many reasons, we are not the ideal people to delve into the tricky and very problematic race issues that this case presents. We'd also be remiss not to talk about these issues, as they're crucial to the larger sociocultural context of the story. In this episode, you'll hear from Nathaniel Davis, who helped raise three of the Hart kids before they were adopted, and April Dinwoody, who is a transracial adoption expert here in New York, and more from Shonda Jones, the lawyer who fought to keep Jeremiah, Devante, and Sierra with their biological aunt. Each of these people has a different perspective on how race and bias may have played a role in the deaths of Marcus, Hannah, Devante, Abigail, Jeremiah, and Sierra Hart. From Glamour and How Stuff Works, this is Broken Hearts. I'm Justine Harmon. And I'm Liz Egan. Before Jen and Sarah Hart adopted their second set of siblings in 2009, Devante, Jeremiah, and Sierra had been Devonta, D-E-V-O-N-T-A, Jeremiah, 
J-E-R-M-I-A-H, and Sierra, C-I-E-R-A, Davis. They had lived in Houston, Texas, with their older brother, Dante, their mother, Sherry Hurd, and her boyfriend, Nathaniel Davis, whose last name the children had taken even before Sherry and Nathaniel got married in 2010. Here's Nathaniel. Oh, don't call me dad. I was only there the day. They took them from me and, and sold them to my brother, and they removed them from there to a foster care home. The audio quality here isn't great, but Nathaniel is saying that he was the only dad those kids ever had, and that CPS removed the siblings from his and Sherry's care when Sierra was born in 2005. The children lived briefly with his brother, he says, before all three entered the Texas foster care system. Nathaniel remembers the three younger siblings' personalities well, even though he hasn't seen them in over a decade. Levante, he wasn't going to be very smart. Sierra, she's cheating Jeremiah all the time, too. Levante always tried to protect Jeremiah. Remember, Nathaniel wasn't the only family these kids had. Before Jen and Sarah Hart adopted Devante, Jeremiah, and Sierra in 2009, their aunt, Priscilla, fought hard to get them out of foster care. Priscilla hired Houston attorney Shonda Jones to help her plead her case and was successful in having them return to her care. She even moved to a new house to accommodate the children. But a decision to let their mom, Sherry, watch the kids while Priscilla went to work resulted in the kids being removed from the home. Sherry had a well-documented substance abuse problem. According to court records, she was a crack cocaine abuser and was forbidden contact with the kids. And CPS exercised a no-tolerance policy. The children had only lived with their aunt for five and a half months. Priscilla's decision to let the kids' mom babysit was a bad judgment call, yes. But Shonda says the tenor of the court proceedings stands out in her 22 years as an attorney. The father's rights were being terminated because I think he had alcohol problems and the mother had drug problems. And so that's why their rights were terminated, which I I don't take issue with that. I think, you know, in that instance, that was a prudent thing to do. What I always have taken issue with in this case is the harsh manner and the way that they dealt with Ms. Celestine. The presiding judge for that court was Patrick Shelton, who is now retired. In response to questions about how the Hearts were allowed to adopt Devante, Jeremiah, and Sierra after an allegation of child abuse had already been made against them, he pointed to the lack of criminal charges in the state of Minnesota. Shelton told criminal justice site The Appeal, unless there's a criminal charge, what can you do? Believe it or not, kids get bruises that do not get beat. Shelton also denies reports that he or his associate judge favored non-relative adoptions over placement with family members. The agency that facilitated Jen and Sarah's adoption of the Davis siblings closed in 2011. It was called the Permanent Family Resource Center. The offices were located on a commercial grid of land in Fergus Falls, Minnesota, which is about a 50-minute drive from Alexandria, where the women lived until 2013. An archived version of the now-defunct website says it was started in 2000 by three families who had adopted eight children out of the child welfare system. According to a 28-page report filed by the Minnesota Department of Human Services in September 2009, only months after Jen and Sarah officially adopted their second set of siblings through the agency, 
the Permanent Family Resource Center was placed on conditional status after accruing 17 licensing violations. The violations ranged from failing to submit paperwork to failure to complete proper background checks on families. In the past 10 years, the Minnesota DHS has only issued three conditional licenses for child placement agencies. Back when the Hearts were clients, the Permanent Family Resource Center ran the Waiting Children Program, a service that provided families in Minnesota and North Dakota with access to foster kids living in Texas, Washington, Ohio, Idaho, Oregon, California, and Florida. The website reads, Children in this program are living in foster homes or residential facilities, and a termination of parental rights has occurred. They are legally available for adoption. The average wait for a child after approval of the home assessment is between six months and three years. It took Jen and Sarah Hart less than a year to legally adopt Devante, Jeremiah, and Sierra. Our field reporter, Lauren Smiley, reached out to three former Permanent Family Resource Center employees about how these children were matched with the Hearts. As we record this episode, those emails have not yet been returned. Devante Jeremiah and Sierra's stepdad, Nathaniel Davis, still has a hard time understanding why Jen and Sarah were able to adopt the children while also being under investigation on allegations of child abuse. They were wrong, 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 moving them kids out of state of Texas. He goes on to say... I'm going to tell you why. They figured we were poor, didn't have nothing to fight them with. They should have given other people an opportunity to adopt them kids. After Devante, Jeremiah, and Sierra were removed from Priscilla Celestine's care, Shonda says she barely had a chance to say goodbye to the children she had cared for for the past several months. I think Miss Celestine maybe saw them one last time. Both Nathaniel and Shonda believe that institutionalized bias may have informed the court's decision. You just got the complete feeling that they already had made up their mind. It's almost like you're just wasting their time, you're in the way. And it's like, this is supposed to be a judicial system where you weigh evidence. Why would you be so emotional and so angry over somebody doing their job because this lady wanted to make sure that she kept her niece and nephews and not allowed them to go off and she never see them again in life. Despite trying to find out more details regarding the siblings' adoption, Shonda says she was never given more information about their placement family. I saw some communication with Brian Fisher, who was a children's attorney, and he said he would have to fly to Minneapolis. So they sent the kids out of state, and that didn't even make sense anyway. I was like, as huge as Texas is, you mean to tell me that there's no one? Why is there this effort to hurry up and get these kids out of Texas? When Lauren reached Brian Fisher over the phone in August to ask about the case, he said only, no ma'am, no ma'am, no ma'am. Adoptions are sealed in Texas. Goodbye. It wasn't until March of this year, when Shonda saw reports of the crash on TV, that she realized what had happened to Devante, Jeremiah, and Sierra, and who got custody of them so many years ago. I was sitting here in my office, and I was looking at the news, and I heard them say Minneapolis, and then they said Devante, and then that's when I said, oh my God, those are the kids. Shonda called Priscilla to break the news. When I finally made the connection, I was just horrified, and I hate to admit this because She's somebody who can't listen to a lot of bad things that happened. But I called her around like uh, 11 o'clock at night. I asked her, have you heard about that case where the, those kids were driven off a cliff? And she said no. So she said she couldn't hear what I was about to tell her. So I called her back the next day. And that's when I 
revealed to her, they were driven off the cliff. And, you know, she 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 said she just can't, she didn't want to accept it. She always thought that the kids were in a better place. But she was, you know, she was devastated. She was devastated. Like so many people who learned the fate of Marcus, Hannah, Devante, Abigail, Jeremiah, and Sierra Hart, Shonda takes issue with the disconnect between the facts that emerged on paper and the fiction Jen Hart presented on Facebook. She recalls reading about a particular post in which Jen called out the racism her children experienced on a regular basis. These kids are being used as a prop. I read this article where I think one of the adoptive moms had said she was in a store. She was checking out an older white gentleman and this cashier who was also Caucasian were having this discussion about Devante asking him something about whether he was going to play sports. And I don't believe for one moment that that conversation took place. That never happened. We scoured Jen Hart's Facebook feed. And sure enough, a post from November 2014 refers to this interaction. The post reads, quote, We were standing in the grocery checkout line. An elderly man was standing at the end of the bagging area, conversing with the woman checking us out. He spots our son, looks him up and down. Man, colon. I can tell you are going to be a baseball player when you grow up. Son, pauses, tilts his head, and gives a closed mouth grin. Actually, no. Baseball isn't really my thing. The post goes on like this a little bit with the woman bagging groceries in what Jen describes as a befuddled, nearly astonished voice, saying, quote, What? I have never met a kid that looks like you that doesn't play sports. And the man agreeing with a chuckle, Right? Never. They all do. Jen laments having to watch her child be subjected to ongoing racial stereotyping, but doesn't step in. Instead, she says, her son responds, Well, of course you've never met a kid like me. I'm one of a kind. I'm going to be myself, no matter how much people try to make me something I am not. She adds at the end, I think this kid will be all right, no matter what is tossed at him. This kind of storytelling from Jen may seem benign at first. But when it factors into an ongoing pattern of isolation and chronic abuse, the narrative takes on a sinister undertone. Jen and Sarah Hart had taken six black kids from Houston, one of the most diverse cities in America, and moved them from one rural town to the next. For context, a 2017 census report found that Woodland, Washington, the last place the Harts lived, is at least 92% white. Only 0.3% of Woodland's population is black. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do, too. 
So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. It took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX anniversary sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super-comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Friends of the Hearts often recount the stories Jen and Sarah told about how unwelcoming their neighbors were, how much abuse this unconventional family faced, and how unsafe it was for them at times. Bill Groner lived next door to them in West Lynn, Oregon, where the population is 89% white. Bill believes that maintaining a sense of fear might have helped Jen and Sarah keep the ongoing abuse under wraps. He spent the past four years playing keyboard at Mount Olivet Baptist Church in North Portland, The website for Mount Olivet claims the church was built in 1907 from lumber provided by the Ku Klux Klan to keep the African-American organization on what they deemed the proper side of town. For the record, Bill is white. I've always played music in church. I play at an African-American church, so I'm aware about racism. It may be covert rather than overt. Even if it's kind of almost subliminal, I could see parents wanting to protect their kids. I always thought maybe that's part of why they told the kids to kind of not be overly conversational or friendly with neighbors because uh, people could secretly harbor prejudice against you. But when you read more about what's what actually happened, I don't think they want the kids to tell what was going on. I think that's really part of the deal, because all it would have taken is one kid to come over and say, you know, I'm hungry, could I have some food for me to call children's services? Groner isn't the only one who noted the way the Hart women, especially Jen, would cut their family off from outsiders. But their festival friend, Ian Sperling, only came to that realization after they died. It's like, okay, so we have some dates set up. They canceled, like, hey, let's plan a play date at the park this Tuesday. Oh, yeah, that'd be great. And then the day comes, hey, we're not going to be around. You know, a few little things here and there that, you know, we never thought anything more about. Now, looking back, it's like she was shielding them from being close to people. I felt like we were really close with them. But at the same time, are they like our family that just stops by all the time? No, not at all. 
now looking back, there were some dumb moments there. In particular, like Marcus, Marcus and Jeremiah, they were very reserved and almost stoic in nature. And then when you talk to them, boom, snap into a smile, snap into some personality, and then boom, right when you stop talking, go right back to a stoic face. And Ian got closer than most. Back in June 2018, our field reporter Lauren talked to Ken Nwadike, an activist who started the Free Hugs Project. Ken first reached out to the family when he saw that viral image of Devante hugging a police officer at the Black Lives Matter rally. He thought perhaps he could mentor the boy. Here's Lauren. Ken Marike first held a free hug sign at the Boston Marathon in 2014. He soon extended his campaign for peace and racial understanding to Black Lives Matter rallies in college campuses across the country. When Devante's photo went viral six months later... Ken's social media lit up. Ken read about how Devante had white moms. He also noticed the boy's curious outfit, fedora hat, leather peacoat, and wise-looking face, the age of which was hard to peg. He sent a direct message to Jen's account on Facebook. When his photo of him holding that free hug sign and crying in front of the officer, when that went viral... My social media went crazy because it was the second time an African-American was shown like that in regards to law enforcement. And that's what my work of the Free Hugs Project really began as. And so shortly after, Devontae Hart's photo comes out with him holding that Free Hugs sign in front of a police officer. I'm getting all of these emails from people saying, Ken, your work is spreading. Look at the impact that you're having even on young people. And so right away, I felt like I need to meet this kid. And so I started searching online and then made contact with their family via Facebook. Ken thought Devante might benefit from having a black male figure in his life. In fact, it was something he himself had craved growing up. I was raised by a single mother, and I appreciate my mother and all of the strength that she had to raise four boys and my sister. But my entire life, I longed for a father. Originally, Ken thought he was messaging with Devante, but then it became clear he was chatting with an adult, Jen. Over Facebook, she said she preferred her children live what she called a private lifestyle. Understandable, really. How many parents out there willingly connect their young children with strangers over the Internet? And after the amount of attention that photo solicited, all the more reason to be protective— Still, the two remained friends on Facebook, a choice Ken now believes was intentional on Jen's part. She kind of intercepted that potential friendship or connection that we could have had. It wasn't until after that I was like, oh, now it all makes sense. You wanted them to live a private lifestyle because if he would have started sharing with me that food was being withheld, she kept a very close circle of people that she can kind of play this role with, that everything is okay, and so then the truth wouldn't get out or they wouldn't believe it. Back when we started looking into this story, we wanted to better understand what it takes to make a blended family like the Hearts work in the real world. Lauren spoke with April Dinwoody, a transracial adoption expert and the former executive director of the Donaldson Adoption Institute. April Dinwoody's expertise in transracial adoption starts close to home. She was adopted out of foster care as a toddler by a white family in Rhode Island. The way her family dealt with their racial differences was to not talk about race at all. 
As an adult hungry to connect with Black culture, April moved to Harlem. She became CEO of the Donaldson Adoption Institute and mentors kids of color who are adopted by white families. She used to host a workshop called What My White Parents Didn't Know and Why I Turned Out Okay Anyway. April is vocal about the flaws in the adoption system. More often than not, professionals are underpaid. Black children are overrepresented. Not enough attention is paid to bias training. Sometimes adoptions are rushed. If you look at what tends to happen when it comes to data, states can have a sense of not leaving young people in foster care for a long time. So things get rushed. So sometimes a termination of parental rights happens too quickly. Sometimes an adoption happens too quickly. She also believes that the American perception of adoption is binary. Adopted parents are good. Parents who can't take care of their children, bad. She says not enough attention is paid to the gray areas that exist. What kind of words come up when you think of parents who have their rights terminated? Poor, drug abusers, addicts, you know, all these really loaded terms. And then you say what comes up for you with parents who adopt? Family, love, safety, you know. And then even when you look at, you know, families and parents who relinquish voluntarily, there is a much warmer feeling about that versus parents who have their rights terminated. It's just something that we have embedded in our perceptions. Like Shonda Jones, April believes that the system may have favored the hearts. In a family like the hearts, I could see how they would be very appealing within the foster care system. Very appealing. She says there is no way to discuss this case without taking a hard look at what she calls the deep layers of racism within the child welfare system. There's so many issues of just racism and race and class differences. It's just hard not to have that just be so front and center. You know, you have an aunt who's ready, willing, and able, and you've got families that are struggling for whatever reason and doing what they can to rehabilitate, and they're people of color. And then you've got white family resources available, and you can see it coming so clearly, you know, that that this is how this would play out. Institutional racism within child welfare is just there. There's no question. As a woman of color who was taken in by white parents, April is uniquely aware of the challenges of transracial adoption, how important questions about identity can get glossed over, or how a child may grow to feel ambivalent toward their birth culture, or as if they're stuck between two worlds. First and foremost, they should be living in diverse areas with examples and teachers and community members and friends, close friends of the family that are people of color. Like, you just can't raise a brown or black kid in a situation where they're one of a few people of color. It's just not safe anymore. It's not emotionally safe. It's not physically safe. Um, So I think first and foremost, they should be living in diverse areas. And parents need to be uncomfortable, right? Like white parents need to make it their business to go and be in places where they're the minority so they can get a little bit of a sense of what their kid feels. Ultimately, she believes that Jen's multiple pleas for racial understanding and tolerance on Facebook, not to mention the family's presence at protests, was self-congratulatory. I just remember looking at Devante's face back in 2014, right? It was like, it just struck me. I mean, I had no idea, honestly. I had no idea that he was a young person that was involved in the foster care system. But but something didn't sit right. And just so much pain in that. And it just felt like, it felt uncomfortable to me, honestly. It just it just did. And And then to find out his backstory and this tragic end to his life, it just sort of reinforces this idea that, Some parents do operate this way, which is, you know, look what we did. 
we're symbols of, you know, um, racial harmony and our kids are, are evidence of that. And it's just really, really uncomfortable and exploitive. And um, it's sort of heartbreaking. And it's really calculated, right? Was it calculated or was it ignorant? If you read Jen's heartfelt words on the topic of systemic racism, you might find yourself impressed by her conviction. On July 7, 2016, she took to Facebook to air her frustrations. My beautiful black boys, she wrote, alongside a picture of Jeremiah and Devante smiling in hoodies and beanies. We talk endlessly about the realities of this world. So much beauty, so much pain and suffering. These boys live and lead with love. But I will never deny them their human right to be frustrated, sad, and angry about the perpetual violence and murder of people of color. My feed is filled with people, white and POC, that want to help make a difference, but are completely at a loss of what to do. Opening up and breaking the silence is a start, because white silence is black death. If that statement makes you uncomfortable, I'm not sorry. Black pain matters. Black anger matters. Black lives matter. Back in 2007, after Jen and Sarah adopted Marcus, Hannah, and Abigail, a caseworker visited the women's home in Minnesota. Her findings were positive. She recommended that Jen and Sarah be allowed to adopt a sibling group of up to five more children. Her report, filed on July 11, 2007, read, The hearts are open to any race and gender, although they would prefer to have at least one boy in the sibling group. Jen and Sarah have adopted biracial children, and they have the tools and knowledge to adopt more children from the African-American heritage. They are prepared to advocate for their children and to secure the necessary services to support their family. Over the course of our reporting, Lauren has reviewed over 800 pages of material from the Clark County Sheriff's Office in Washington. Among the documents are official caseworker reports and personal emails from the Hart women. And it appears they did try, at least at first, to create a nurturing and culturally aware home for their children. Before they even received the first set of kids, Jen wrote an email in January 2006 to her adoption agency caseworker talking about having set up an appointment with a child psychologist who she calls simply the best of the best. Jen wrote, We registered him ASAP because there's a waiting list about three or four months out. They talked about enrolling Marcus in special education. Jen calls the school the most diverse in the district. A caseworker wrote up a conversation she had with Jen reflecting on the transracial adoption homework Jen had completed about places and people African-American kids could identify with. It said that Jen had identified the Black Student Union at a local university. The caseworker writes about Jen. Just purchased a couple more children's books about African-American heritage. One book is called Martin's Big Words about Martin Luther King. In pictures that were released of the inside of the Hart's home in Washington, their home library showed what looked like African masks hung on the wall. The book collection included books like Mandela and The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks. Another thing that really stood out was back in a March 2009 email to some friends. This is after the adoption of the second set of kids. 
Jen says how well the kids are doing and mentions the maternal aunt trying to get the kids back. Jen wrote, The kids are all doing swell. I don't know why they insist on growing up on me. Sierra will be four next month. Abby and Jeremiah are five now. Devante, six. Hannah, seven. And Marcus, ten. Devante, Jeremiah, and Sierra are doing incredibly well. You wouldn't know they are the same kids that came to our home nine months ago. I'm so proud of them for all they have accomplished in such a short time. We finalized their adoption last month, thank goodness. I have been a ball of anxiety just waiting for that day to come. Until a couple months ago, a maternal aunt was still trying to get them back. Long story. Happy ending, or beginning. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. It took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX anniversary sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. A 2015 evaluation of data on 600 children adopted in Minnesota examined whether being raised by someone of a different race is inherently damaging. And the conclusion was no. Emma Hamilton, the lead author and a doctoral candidate in counseling psychology at the University of Texas at Austin, put it this way. Being raised by someone of a different race is not inherently damaging to the development of the adoptees. 
but much depends on how white parents talk about race with their children of color and help them identify with people of their own race. This mirrors what April Dinwiddie has found in her personal and professional life. You almost have to become an activist. And I think a true activist, one that goes into the school and says, black and brown kids are disciplined at higher rates and you've got to make yourself known to say, hey, not my kid. You've really got to become, you know, a champion of your child's safety physically and emotionally. I think the hearts tried to sort of like put that idea out there of like racial kind of coming together, but it was like very, very superficial and uncomfortable, quite frankly, in how they sort of paraded the children around it. Just that's not what that looks like. What it really looks like when you embrace bringing a child of color into your family and you're a white family, there better be people that look like your kid in that community and they better, you know, really be authentic. And the way it becomes authentic is learning about birth family. Like, you know, there are a lot of ethnicities and cultures within black and white people and brown people. So it's kind of like you got to have some information so that you actually know what your kid may have been experiencing in their birth family. In so many ways, the mythologies Jen and Sarah Hart told about their children had their intended effect. They told people the kids were crack babies, a 1980s term now widely debunked. People believed them. For April Dinwiddie, these stories are evidence of white saviorism, the idea that white people can swoop in and fix non-white people. It's one of those things that really just makes me so angry because at the end of the day, it may well be true that these young people come with those traumatic experiences that manifest in behavior and health issues. That just means that that family needs more support and those, those parents who are going to parent those children need not use that as, as any form of excuse or even be talking about private things about their children unless it's with a, a licensed therapist. That draws so much suspicion and so much just emotion around the fact that that would be utilized as a way to mask some of the abuse and neglect that was happening within the home. It, it's just... Um, just disturbing. Ian Sperling now sees how the use of loaded terms like crack babies may have helped reinforce a certain narrative. Everyone was very envious of them because of how they could pull this off, how they can raise these six, quote-unquote, developmentally delayed children. Good for you. Nice work. You saved them. You know, that was the narrative always. You know, we talked extensively about it. So it was just like, you know, she had a very detailed story about how they were adopted and what they went through prior. There's a lot of white saviorism symbolic in this story now that I never understood or knew about. Trying to build this portrait of a, you know, idealistic situation where these uh, white ladies came in and saved these six black children. Um, which just, oh man. It's tough. We love those kids so much. Okay, so, sorry. Okay. Jen and Sarah's artfully spun stories were alarmingly effective. They neatly explained away some of the kids' strange behavior, while also reinforcing a cocoon of silence around what happened behind closed doors. They kept the kids from being able to connect with people who had similar backgrounds. They kept the neighbors from interfering. These stories even prevented the children from being in touch with their own flesh and blood. And most importantly, 
these stories ensured that the voices of the heart children were never, ever heard. If you suspect a child is being abused, call 1-800-4-A-CHILD. That's 1-800-4-A-C-H-I-L-D. Or visit childhelp.org to find out how to report your concerns. Next time on Broken Hearts. When I realized that she was a homeschool mom, I'm like, there's no way in hell those kids are learning. I mean, really. The search parties came here and scoured the bluffs with fancy helicopters and airplanes and boats. I can't even imagine how many miles he walked on those beaches and bluffs and drove around and uh, sat on the cliff with his binoculars day after day after day after day. I remember making this comment, like, you're like an abused wife. And she just kind of gave me this look like, no kidding. For access to exclusive photos and videos and documents about the case, visit Glamour.com slash Broken Hearts. Have questions for us about this podcast? Reach us on Twitter at Glamour Mag or at Broken Hearts Pod. If you like what you heard, leave us a review. Broken Hearts is a joint production between Glamour and How Stuff Works, with new episodes dropping every Tuesday. Broken Hearts is co-hosted and co-written by Justine Harmon and Elizabeth Egan and edited by Wendy Noggle. Lauren Smiley is our field reporter. Samantha Barry is Glamour's editor-in-chief. Julie Shen and Deanna Buckman head up the business side of this partnership. Joyce Pendola, Pat Singer, and Luke Zaleski are our research team. Jason Hoke is executive producer on behalf of How Stuff Works, along with producers Julian Weller, Ben Kiebrick, and Josh Thane. Special thanks to Jen Lance. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom to do your deal. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, or simply soak up the sun and sand in a tropical paradise, Cheap Caribbean Vacations has your deal for that. 
Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive Budget Beach Finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to Generations Riviera Maya Resort and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com. 